0: All right, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, let's read the first two verses. Hebrews 12, 1. therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, from these two verses that we read, it is obvious what our subject tonight will be. Clearly, it's the importance of reading biography in our, uh, biographies in our Christian lives. Um, and I guess once the reference was announced, we all knew what that was going to be. Um, so, considering that the key word in the title is biographies, and that biographies never appeared in these two verses that we read, I have my work cut out for me in how I'm going to connect these two. Um, but it's actually not going to be so bad. Um, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 comes after Hebrews 11. And uh, that's going to be very helpful to us because Hebrews 11 is a chapter filled with biographies. There are biographies of those from the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, It is the heroes of faith chapter, if you want to call it that. And after Hebrews 11 speaks of and reminds us of all these Old Testament heroes, if you want to call them that, Uh, Hebrews 12 then begins with, Therefore, we also, we also. So the thought flow is, here is someone who lived by faith. Here is someone who lived by faith. Here is someone who lived by faith. And we also, in other words, in light of remembering these who live by faith, we also can can go on. So that's the connection. And that's how the subject of biographies is actually linked with Hebrews 12, uh, 1 and 2. Um, Hebrews 11 uh, really is a proper connection to this idea in Hebrews 12. Therefore, we also. Um, the people who have gone on before, it's wonderful to read about them. It helps us get motivated. It helps us stay motivated. And that is so important. It, it, this chapter, that is Hebrews 11, was important in my life as a graduate student. So I... I lived in Maryland when I grew up, and for most of all of my life, I've lived in Maryland, except for some time in graduate school when I lived in Los Angeles. The Midwest was cut right out of my my history growing up, um, and I was only blessed uh, a little bit later in life when I went out to Wichita and ended up finding uh, meeting my wife out there. But um, but when I was in graduate school, living in Los Angeles. Um, I sometimes, when I had to do some thinking, I like to take a drive somewhere, and it's hard to take a drive in Los Angeles, um, but you there are places you can go. One is called the Angeles Crest Highway and kind of get away from it all, and uh, I did that and found a place to park, and um, that's not me, by the way, by the car there, um, but similar idea. <laughs> that is one selfie, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember reading through Hebrews 11 and uh, just these ones that have gone on before. And uh, it really pricked me as to, to how, how am I living my life? Um, and maybe in a different way than just reading doctrinal verses, reading the lives of people and being reminded of them in Hebrews 11, it, it, it's different. It's different. You, you say, here are, here are people, flesh and blood as myself, and, and yet look at what they did when they had faith in God. Two of the verses that particularly, uh, spoke to me, the first is verse, uh, 16, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. And, uh, that phrase, God is not ashamed to be called their God. That that pricked me as well, uh, that not only the lives that these people live, but I asked myself, could that be said of me? And the other verse that really spoke to me that particular day was down in verse 38. Um, when it talking about people who have suffered and even died for the sake of, of their God, Verse 38 says, of whom the world was not worthy. And uh, that also uh, spoke to me. Would would God say that of me in my life? And uh, this was a very healthy thing for me. It was very healthy to review the lives of people, Old Testament saints, to see how they had faith in God uh, and what God did with them. And the people that are introduced in Hebrews 11, they're introduced the same way uh, every time it seems, it's that by faith somebody did something. Um, so biographies take these abstract biblical concepts and make them real to us. One of them is faith. What is faith? What does faith look like when it gets put into a person's life? And uh, Hebrews 11 helps us with that. Um, just a little diversion from our subject of biographies, and that is to look at this matter of faith since we are in Hebrews 11. And when we see faith in action, we have to understand that faith is not fantasy. These are two different concepts. Let me see if I can uh, illustrate it a little bit. You come and you see uh, me out in a yard digging. You ask me why I'm digging, what am I trying to do? Say, I'm getting treasure, getting treasure down here. A little bit more work, I'm sure I'll have it. Why do you think treasure is there? And my answer is, I have faith that it's there. Is that a correct use of the word faith? Am I using faith the right way? you may follow up and say well who told you it was there nobody did you see it get put in there no but i have faith it's there that is an incorrect use of the word faith because that's not that's not what faith means faith is not even an, an applicable you know what i mean applicable word to use in that sentence um It doesn't matter if I just have this idea that there's treasure down there. That is not faith. What you're seeing there is fantasy. Now, if you came to me and I was digging and you said, what are you doing? I said, I'm digging for treasure. And you said, why do you think there's treasure down there? I say, I have faith that it's down there. And you say, well, who told you it was down there? And then I say, Well, Jerry, my next-door neighbor, said that there was treasure buried down there. He told me the whole story of how it got there, and I am relying on what he said. Now, am I using the word faith properly? The answer is yes, because faith is a reliance on someone based on their word. In other words, faith is a response to a message. We're not going to go into the details of this tonight, but this is a uh, consistently found in Scripture. Um, faith comes uh by hearing. Hearing, most Bibles say by the word of God, but hearing God speak. It is a response to a hearing. So if we were to give a definition of it, faith in God is relying on God based on what he said. It is not fantasy where you think something up and your own reality is thought up. Now, the digging for treasure that I told you about, is it guaranteed that I will find treasure? No. I may have placed my faith in the wrong person. Maybe this guy was lying to me or maybe he didn't know. But the word faith is being used properly. So faith is relying faith in God is relying on God based on what He said, and other people have variant various ways of putting it. Some say faith in God is relying on what God says. Some say it's taking God at His word. Um, all of these are the same way of getting to uh, this basic thought that it is a response to something that we hear, and in our case, we read in the Word of God. So when we read something in Scripture and we rely on it, we are having faith in God. That is how the word is used, okay? So I'll give, I'm going to give you an example of something that is faith and something that is not faith. Uh, I have a niece who asked me one time, she said she knows somebody who doesn't set an alarm clock in the morning, and um, a believer, and uh, the believer said, well, I don't set an alarm clock. Because I have faith in God that He will wake me whenever I am supposed to be awake. So she asked me, she said, you know, basically, you know, is this what faith in the Christian life looks like? I mean, is that, is that how we have faith that, you know, and I said, well, tell me, where do we, where do we read that God promises us that when we go to sleep, He will wake us up when we're supposed to get up? She said, well, I don't know of a verse like that. I said, neither do I. So faith is a response to a claim or a statement that we have from God. So if such a verse existed, and I rely on that verse, and I'm relying on God based on what he said, that is faith. Uh, What this person said, it may be a good thought, and it's not a bad thing to pray if you want to pray and say, Uh, Lord, I would like you to wake me up when I need to get up. If I need to get up earlier than I think I do, will you please wake me? And you can leave it with him and let him deal with the answer to that prayer as he sees fit. But we don't have a promise from God that that's what he will do, and that would be an an improper use of the word faith. Um, I'm going to also give a um, an example to show that faith is not something illogical, and it's not something that is unscientific. It is the most reasonable thing in the world. My, my, I have gotten off of our theme of biographies. And by the way, I'm pretty good at staying to topic, too, so this is very out of character for me. I feel very uncomfortable up here, just to let you know. (laughs) All right, let's finish this out on faith, and then we'll get back to our subject. So it's not illogical, it's not unscientific, and so if people in the universities or wherever you may be Say, look, we have two worlds. There's what There's science and there's faith, and these worlds shall never, never meet. Uh, well, that's just not right. So let me give you an example of somebody who had faith. Uh, there was a young uh, woman, a girl named Anna. I'll forget her age. Let's throw it out as 11, give or take a bunch. I don't know how old she was. Um, so, um, I was over at her family's house uh we were in the house um anyway they had this sh- this crazy shower curtain um that had the united states on it uh no no not the united states a map of the world on it and um there was the united states there was greenland and a whole bunch of other places you could go to and so here is what the united states looked like on that looked like that here is what greenland looked like It looked like that. So I asked her, I said, Anna, here's a question for you. Come look at this. I said, which is bigger, Greenland or the United States? She looked at that. She said, Greenland is bigger. To which I said, did you know that actually the United States is is larger than Greenland? And we're not even counting Alaska. Um, she said, oh, no, I didn't know that. I said, well, it is. She said, oh, okay. Well, I just couldn't leave it at this. Because she said, oh, okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, uh I don't know where, anyway, we were, various people were all places in the house anyway. So, we were maybe in the living room or something. Anyway, whatever. So, I said, I have a question for you. And I said, you can tell me the truth. I said, Really, deep down inside, which do you think is bigger, Greenland or the United States? She said the United States. I said, why do you think the United States is bigger? She said, you told me it was. Now, I have a very serious question for you. I really want you to think about this. Was Anna being logical or not logical? I think it was true. I think that, I think if she had a test the next day and this test would would determine her grade for the whole year, for the rest of her life, this grade is going to, this exam is going to determine her grade for that year and every year to come for the rest of her life. One question on the exam, which is bigger, Greenland or the United States? (laughs) And I had told her the United States is bigger, but she had that that she looked at I don't know. I think she would have... She seemed to be sincere. So I think she would have checked off the United States. If she did that, would that be exercising faith? Yes. It is relying on me based on what I said. I gave a message. She received the message and she relied on on me based on what I had said. So that would be exercising faith. But now the question on the screen is, is this... Logical, or is faith just a blind leap at whatever you want to go to and i want to i want to say it is a completely logical thing because if she had done that, what would she consider well, she consider um, i'm a, a math or science guy she knew that um, she knows that she doesn't know everything out there she knows that i not gonna lie to her. She knows that I saw the same thing she saw. And in spite of it, said, well it's kind of tricky the way it looks there, but actually the United States is bigger. And so even though not knowing the reason why it looks like that on the map, she nonetheless would be relying on me if she if she chose the United States. Um, That that is faith. But it would be completely logical, right? Makes sense. You rely on your mechanic when your mechanic tells you what's wrong with your car. You're relying on what he says. And the same thing happened here. It is completely reasonable for someone to assess a situation, to assess what they know about the situation, and to put their reliance on what someone else says about the situation. And that's that's a completely reasonable thing to do. It's faith. Now, in case you're wondering... um, why does Greenland look so big on a map? Um, it's, it's not a secret. It's called the Greenland problem. And the Greenland problem is that the Earth is actually a, a, a ball, as opposed to flat, and maps that you see on the walls are flat. So in order to get the round globe onto a flat map, you have to stretch certain parts of it. And the parts near the North and South Pole get stretched more than the parts near the middle. So a piece of land up near the North Pole looks much larger on a flattened-out map. So there's actually a reason for it. So Greenland being a big piece of land up near the pole is why they they call it the Greenland problem, but it happens with all pieces of land up near the poles. They look unusually large on maps, And, uh, and that's what happened. So there is an answer to it. But she didn't know the answer, but she was relying on me uh, based on what I said, and that's what faith is. So when you look into Hebrews 11 and you see people doing things by faith, you can apply this and it's consistent. So Abraham, he went out, Hebrews 11 says, not knowing where he was going. You think of Abraham, he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know um, why he was going. He didn't know why, for instance, the Lord would tell him to offer his son. He did not know how he was going to have a son when the Lord promised him one. All of these things he did not know, except he did know who. And he relied on him uh, based based on his word. All right. So that's our diversion into faith. Let's come back to our subject of biographies uh, from Hebrews 11 and then Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. So, um... Hebrews 12 says, therefore we also, in light of all of these people that have gone on before, we also um, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Um, The picture of a race is given. Um, We want to think of a long race, obviously, because we have to run with endurance. So what better than a marathon? Now, at this point, I need to humbly add some information that I have run a marathon. It was this one actually that I ran. This is a picture of a previous year, but this is the same marathon that I ran. Now you may say, why is it important to share that I have run the marathon? Well, wouldn't you? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I get it in anywhere I can. You should see me at a restaurant, you know. (laughs) Do you offer discounts to people who've run a marathon? (laughs) No. Oh, just asking. I just... Um... No, actually, there is a reason for it. Because um, I ran in in December of a year, ten and a half years ago, um, and February of that year, so some ten months before, Um, I couldn't run down the street. And um, I ended up running just to get into a little bit of shape. Um, I wasn't thinking of running a marathon. Um, I didn't win. Um, But I I made my target time. But that's not saying much because you just make your target time whatever you want. And then when you make it, (laughs) then you tell people you made your target time. Now, the Ability to run a marathon is actually not so much ability as it is uh training. They say that if you can make it to the starting line, you'll make it to the finish line. But what does that mean? It means if you have done the proper training to get to the starting line, that you, then you're done. You'll make it to the finish line. Now, They say training for and running a marathon is 90% mental. The other half is physical. Um, But the first part actually is true. Of all the people who decide in their mind that they want to run a marathon, there's only a small portion of them that actually do. And I want to ask you, what limited them? Do you think it was the mental that they just stopped doing the training, or do you think it was the physical? And the answer is it's usually the mental. Okay, The the whole point is not to quit quit the training program. Now, how do you not quit the training program? How did I do it? Uh, How did I get motivated enough or stay motivated through the many months of hard training needed needed to run the marathon. And um, the answer is I found this book, which had a title that I just could not resist. The title is The Non-Runner's Marathon Trainer. I thought, this is wonderful. This is the book for me. Um, And it was written by three people from Iowa. Yeah, thank you. All right. Um, they're at, they were, I think, at the... Is the University of Iowa in Ames? Or am I uh, way, way off? No. no. I did it wrong. <laughs> which is in a? What school is in Ames? Iowa State, Iowa State is in Ames. Okay. Where is uh University of Iowa? Iowa City. Iowa City. I'm sorry. All right. I know which one is in Dubuque. I'm, I'm good <laughs> with that one. All right. So then I... They were at one of the two schools that we were talking about, um, <laughs> and uh, they, they taught a course there called the marathon course, and they've done it many years. It's a fall course, and basically you get an A in the course if you run the marathon at the end of the course, and they have a chart which tells you how much you're supposed to run. Uh, in, a, in a particular day, and they also have days off that you take. It's a very scientific because you've got to rest enough to not hurt your body in this whole process. But And they increment you slowly through the weeks of training so that you get to the point where you can run a marathon. It's a very helpful book, but aside from the chart that tells you how much to, to run each week, the main thing that was great about this book is this. There were testimonials in the book. You see, they taught this course over so many years. They contacted students and got stories from them about their experiences training. So every chapter is a week of your training. So you, you read the book and you, you say, okay, this is how much I have to run this week. But then they talk about people who were former students and they're sharing stories about what they were going through at this time of their training. And you read these stories and it just, it motivates you. And that's that's the thing that you need. It's not so much physical. That's there some to some degree. But you need to keep at it. You need to get motivated. You need to stay motivated. It's, it's, it's mental. It's a mental game. So I would read these testimonials and it talks about, you know, once a week you have to do the long run. You know, you get some short or mediums during the week, but then once a week you do the long run, and, and that's usually the biggie that, uh, is gonna do someone in. So, you read these oh, yeah, it was my long run day, and of all things it was raining, and I wanted to make every excuse not to do it, and then I didn't, but then I thought, well maybe I'll start, and then I got out there, and I was feeling bad, and I thought I'd just even quit, and, uh, but then I got into the zone, and then I was, you know, whatever, it was, anyway. You read these things, and it just helps you go. And you say, yeah, I can do this. It's I can't overstate it, uh, the importance of testimonials to the motivation uh, for others like me to, to run the race. It kept me going through all, all of the training. Um, and that's what Hebrews 11 is. Hebrews 11 is telling us about the spiritual race that people ran. And they ran, and they finished well, and they lived by faith, and this is how it looked in their life. And you read t- uh, biography after biography, and these these little verses, a verse or two about somebody in Hebrews eleven, is is meant to bring to our minds the whole biography, just pointing out little pieces of it. And as we see their biographies, we see they they did it, they went on, they finished, and and I can too. I can run the race as well. So it's a very close parallel between uh, the training in a book using a book like this and what we are encouraged by means of the scriptures here. So, um, yeah, we'll skip this. Um, The scriptures are clearly indicating that we can and should be motivated by the biographies of believers recorded in the Bible. I think that's indisputable. Hebrews 11, and how 12 is introduced, is telling us, look at these people that have gone on before. Therefore, we also, we can run run this race, looking to our supreme example, the Lord Jesus. But now the question is, uh, is there any scriptural evidence that we should also look to more contemporary believers for motivation? Or is it just those recorded in the Bible? And the answer is, yes, we do have scriptures that indicate We should look for more contemporary examples as well. Where are the scriptures for this? The first one is Hebrews 13, 7. You don't need to turn to it. We have it up here. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. Whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. The verse is clearly telling us to to look to those who have the rule over you probably talking about elders in an assembly but but look to these people and look at their faith and follow their faith and consider the outcome of their of their conduct we also have hebrews 6:12 and talking about needing motivation to and not get discouraged or frustrated to quit hebrews 6:12 that you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises and then Philippians 3.17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So the answer with at least three scriptures is yes. The Bible says we should look to the Old Testament believers, but the Bible also says look to more contemporary people as well as you see how they follow things. Now, we're not looking to men to try to be like other men. We're looking to men because we see how they follow Christ. And then we say, I need to follow Christ that way. All right. Um, so with that motivation, then, uh, there are believers that uh, have gone on more recently than the scriptures have been re- written, and we can learn from them as well to get and stay motivated in our Christian life um I have to tell you and confess that I am not a reader. This might surprise you based on our subject. I am not a reader and uh if you don't believe me well I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I'm not. Um maybe this will convince you. So a dear believer gave me this book to read, and uh, I really, really like the guy. I've got to tell you a story before this. A believer that wasn't quite as easy to like um, gave me a, bo- a biography one time, and this—if somebody does this to me—they uh, they might as well have just put a burden on me. That it's just so terrible. So, you know, what do you do? You've got to be nice, you're believers. And so you <laughs> I had the book, kind of looked at it on the desk for a while, wondering what to do with it, and thought, well, maybe I'll give it a try. But but I went to him, and I said, look, I said, I have to be honest with you. I think I'm good for about one book a year. I said, N- if knowing that about me, if you could only give me one book, to read. Would this be it or would it be a different book? Cause I want the other book if it's another book. <laughs> he didn't hesitate. He said, no, 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 this is it. This is the one. Alright. So, I, I gave it a try. It wasn't the one. <laughs> yes. I, I really tried. To this day I haven't finished it. I've made it about a third of the way. I, it's, I, I don't know where it, where it ended up. So another brother, Gave me this book, and I. The problem in this situation is I really, really like this brother. He, if you knew who he was, he's just so such a great, great guy, and I just couldn't disappoint him. Um, and so I, I figured I got to get this into me somehow. So I took the book, I went home, I went on to Amazon and found the book on audio CD, bought that book, I is the word ripped it onto an MP3 player or am I doing everything wrong here? Anyway, I got the, it onto an MP3 player and I would listen to it if maybe I would run or do something and I ended up getting through the whole book that way. Uh, so I could tell him that I, I read the, well, <laughs> <laughs> I read the book in quotes. and um, But what I found out was, it was fascinating. I really liked the book. Uh, this was a great book, and, uh, you know, not giving anything away, it's about Don Richardson. There he is in a movie, uh very, very short movie, and he's actually in it. Um, he's playing himself in the movie. And for once in my life, I can finally say the book was better than the movie. Um, <laughs> because I'm not a... I couldn't say that otherwise. So... Um, we won't go into this book. It's a it's a great book, and you read it. And again, like like biographies are supposed to do, they motivate you, they encourage you, and we're in a race, and we need all the motivation we can get. Um, he went into a place where there was a cannibalistic society, um, so that lends itself to some very interesting stories. We'll just leave it at that. Um, Brother, indeed, about uh, Robert Chapman. Such a loving, loving man. I mean, look at the guy; he just looks <laughs> loving, doesn't he? I can't, I can't connect the way he looks with his character in the book. But he actually, really is the, the dearest guy. This is a book that I, as a non-reader, would force myself to only read one chapter at a time because I, I and I wanted to read more. But the problem is if I read more I would end the book too soon. I wanted the book to last longer. And that's that's a rarity. Um it used to be pricey to find used, sorry, that's used price. Um but I think it's reprinted at Gospel Folio Press. There's Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um it sounds awful at four hundred and forty pages, but you you they're individual stories, so each story is not very long. Sorry. Now, here's a book about a guy named Adoniram Judson. Um, I have two biographies up here about Adoniram Judson. Um, One of them is, according to Amazon, 530 pages. Uh, I own this book. I also own this book to the right. Age range, 10 to 14 years, grade level 5 to 9, (laughs) paperback, 230 pages. I have read one of these. (laughs) I would not be afraid to read the one on the left because I've read the one on the right. Uh The one on the right is written so well. Um, this It's a husband and wife team. They write these biographies for the youngsters. And um, I was given the book on the left. I didn't read it. I did read the one on the right, and it's gotten me to the point where I would read the one on the left. And the one on the left is 530 pages in smaller print than the one on the right, so even though it looks like less than half the length, it's even shorter, I mean, it's even a bigger difference. What do you think of my strategy in reading the one on the right? Just think about that for a moment. I like the strategy, but I'm in good company. I'd like to tell you somebody else who likes this strategy. Raise your hand if you know who this guy is. Oh, no. No. My whole illustration is... <laughs> I wanted to be current. He, this is the, this is the current reigning champion on Jeopardy. Do, do people know who he is now? This guy is tearing it up on Jeopardy. I don't even watch Jeopardy. Not that I don't, I have kids, I just don't have time. I like the show. But, he is tearing it up. He, the, list of people that have won the most money in any individual day, he has the top spot and the next nine. In other words, wow. the top ten individual day winnings, if you saw who won the most in a day and who did won the second most in any one day and the third most, he has ten of the top ten spots. <laughs> and he really trained in order to Prepare himself for Jeopardy, and he bets big. He's a professional sports gambler, and I'm talking about him at Vessels. Here's a guy that is the, you know, one of the most winning people who have ever gone on Jeopardy. He's still the champion. We don't know how long this is going to go. That's how current this is, and um, uh, he's he's been fairly well known. Apparently, not as well known as I thought. <laughs> but. In preparation, he's got to learn about all kinds of things that he's not that interested in. Various things of history and so on, he may not be that interested in the French Revolution or whatever. So his strategy was to get kids' books on the subject. Now, kids not meaning five, but kids meaning young people's books because they're written in a way to engage people that might not normally be engaged. So it's an excellent strategy that he's used. And he said on there... He thinks it's an underrated strategy it's a It's a wonderful thing, and this is how he studied a lot of his subjects for Jeopardy," and it seems to be working. Um, so in this series that is written for young people, I've read lots and lots of books. They are wonderful, and they really grip you, and it's so simple the tricks that they use to gri- grip you they're just childish, you know I mean a chapter's ending and it's like. But she had no idea what lay ahead, or something like that. <laughs> and you're like, that's so obvious of a, you know. But then you're like, but what did happen? <laughs> anyway, so tonight, um, tonight we'll we'll have uh, a special emphasis on the sisters. So I want to talk about a lot of these biographies of sisters. First of all, look at the. Oops, Oh no, okay. First of all, look at the ratings on this, on, on Amazon. Uh, five star. Well, I mean, I think it's 4.8 or something, but anyway, shows up as five stars. Gladys Alward, uh, was a woman that lived in England. Uh, she understood in her life that God would have her go to China and, uh, as a missionary. She went to China Inland Mission and was told she just wasn't made of the right stuff to be a missionary through China Inland Mission. Now, that didn't discourage her enough to keep her away. So she thought to herself, "Well, I just guess I just have to do it on my own." And so she had to save up enough money to get to China. And she did everything she could as a poor house uh, servant. She she worked extra jobs if she could get them. She. Didn't spend any more money than she absolutely had to. She had a pair of shoes that were pretty nice. She thought, I can get some money for these shoes. She traded those shoes in for a pair of shoes that were very cheap. Turned out they were cheap because they were two left shoes. She said, I can fit my feet into them. I'm fine. She um, got enough money. Train was cheaper than a ship to get to China. She ended up going through, having to go through a war zone uh, in her attempts to try to get there, ended up being somewhat kidnapped in Russia in the process. Delivered from that, finally made it to China. I'm not giving things away, by the way. Ju- trust me. Um, uh, and and um, arrived in China to help a veteran missionary that was there. She's not. She barely gets there, and the veteran missionary dies. And from there, you see the Lord's hand in her life, one step at a time. She she doesn't know what to do, but she trusts the Lord. And the Lord uh, brings about a little bit of income for her. because He has the governor of the area make her the foot inspector. Because China went to say a law saying women can't bind little girls' feet anymore they used to do. So she was the foot inspector because she was the only one who didn't have her feet bound as a kid in the area. So she got a little money for this. But then she told the governor, who was called the Mandarin, she said, look, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to also tell people about the the Lord Jesus. Governor said, I don't care what you do as long as you get the job done. But he said, in order to get the job done with the foot inspection, I'm going to have guards, official guards go with you. And you have to go to outlying villages and inspect the feet there. So the Lord opened up this means by which she could have income, this means by which she could get to know the villages, by means by which when she arrived in a village, she had the officers with her so she could tell people what to do. And she ended up spreading the gospel to villages around. Churches were formed in villages around. Um, it turned out they went into wartime. Uh, she knew all the ins and outs of the hills because God had trained her up to that point. And she ended up helping smuggle children around here and there and hiding in caves and whatever they had to do. And it turns out that ne- then she had to deliver uh, hundreds of children through an incredible voyage. You think I'm giving it all away? Don't worry, I'm not. Uh, I went on a plane flight with my wife. Uh, plane flight was about four hours um I had been talking about the book. She started the book at the beginning of the flight, didn't put the book down till she was done, since she was done by the end of the flight. So it's a it's a gripping book. And uh Christian Heroes Then and Now is the name of the um is the name of this series. I said it's uh we're gonna honor the sisters tonight. Um Lillian Trasher, uh she um went to serve the Lord in Egypt. Now, Lillian Trasher had aspirations to be a, uh, an artist for a newspaper. Fascinating how she went to, I think, Atlanta it was. She's going to Atlanta to finish college. She wants to get her job with a big newspaper to be their, their artist for, for various needs that they have. She got the job. The problem is, actually, she didn't get the job. She got the job, but due to a miscommunication the wrong person told her she didn't get the job and she was just on a train ride before that uh and the lord provided a christian woman next to her who talked to her about her soul and who talked to her about what she might do uh with her life and so she got this woman's card thinking well yeah I'm not going to use this at all and um after giving getting this devastating loss she she seeks out this person who was Running an orphanage by faith, and this was part of her training. As you look back over her life, she didn't know it at the time. And then uh, it's interesting to, to follow her life through how she uh, understood that she um, uh, should be a missionary, and she ended up giving um, uh, engaged to be married and um, shared this unmistakable call to the mission field, and they had, had to talk it out as a, as a, as a couple and they decided that the right thing to do was to, to go their separate ways. And, uh, she served the Lord in Egypt. She's called the greatest wonder in Egypt in the, in the title of this book. Um, fascinating story of what the Lord did with her there. Um, in the, the poverty stricken areas and the starting of an orphanage that ended up uh, taking care of hundreds and hundreds of children. They had to go through interesting times, too, uh, through wartime and other kind of trials. Yeah, a fascinating book. You, you can't put it down. Okay. Um, Isabel Kuhn. The thing I like really a lot about her story, she went to the, uh, if I remember right, the University of British Columbia um, uh, up in near Vancouver, and... Um she in her life said, I will never be a missionary. <laughs> she became a missionary. Now this is wonderful for me because I can't I, I love to try to see how the Lord works in a person's life, to take them from somebody who says, I will never be a missionary, to take them to the point where they, they are a missionary. And it's just fascinating to watch what he did in the life of Isabel Kuhn, um, taking her to Asia as, as well. Lottie Moon uh, lived at the time of the Civil War, grew up on a huge plantation, a plantation that was adjacent to Monticello, which was Thomas Jefferson's plantation. Um, grew up with a silver spoon in her mouth, uh, ended up penniless in China as a missionary and famine time, suffering with the Chinese people there. So you have someone that was brought up just at the height of society. They went through a lot of things, the civil war and various things and, and how the Lord brought her to faith in him. She was a cut up in college. She didn't have any care for the things of the Lord, but the Lord saved her and brought her to the point where she served the Lord with the, among the poorest people in the world and was just at home at home with them and how that happened. Um, Corey Tenboom, she's quite well known in what she suffered through events in World War II. Um, I won't say much more about her, aside from just identifying her, because I think we know her fairly well. Um, the ones that I don't have um, the um, book covers for, um, Ida Scudder, Ida Scudder, she um, her father was a medical missionary in India. Here again she didn't want to be a missionary and she came to the uh back to North America and uh the last thing she wanted to do was be a missionary. Um, but she came to North America, she went back to uh India and the Lord brought her through an interesting night. And in this night, I'm not giving anything away, don't worry. In this night uh 3 3 people died. Some were pregnant, so their children died as well. And the reasons that they died were, were very interesting, but they, it ultimately came down to the fact that there was not a woman doctor available. And, uh, this, she was shaken by this. She was never the same person. She thought about this and finally understood that all of her, um, thinking about it was the Lord's way of directing her to to get her her medical degree and to go back to India, she became one of the one of the most um, uh, well famous might not be the right word, but we'll just use it famous um, doctors in India because she was the first person to start a woman's medical college in uh, in India, and in fact started a um, what turned out to be in the end a huge medical facility uh, in India that goes on today. My neighbors uh, who are believers are from India. And uh, I talked to I said, oh, we've been, you know, reading about Ida Scudder in our family. I read these to the kids too and everything. And um said, oh yeah, we know the hospital in Valour. The woman there, she said, I, I actually worked there for a couple of years at that hospital in Valore And um, it's fascinating. Um, Betty Green, um, she's in a series too. Um, she, uh, was a pilot uh, during the time of, of World War II. And um, she didn't go in combat. She was a woman and had a different role, but she was a, a test pilot for a number of things re- regarding military aircraft. And uh, through her life, she wanted to serve the Lord, and she loved flying. And it was an elderly woman who gave her some advice, said, is there a way that you can combine... Your desire to serve the Lord with your life and your love of flying. And she thought about it and that was basically the birth of Missionary Aviation Fellowship. And, uh, she was a pilot for Missionary Aviation Fellowship and one of the, one of the founders for it. And, uh, then there's Rachel Saint that, uh, again, we've, I've read all of these on my own and I read them to my children, um, at nights. They, they just love, love hearing about them. Um, Rachel Saint, uh, she is the, uh, one that, that finally broke through to talk to the, uh, what, who were then called the Aka Indians, but the Warani, uh, of Ecuador, uh, those that had martyred those five missionaries that had earlier tried to make contact with them. One of them being Rachel Saint's brother, Nate Saint. And, uh, Rachel Saint was used by God Greatly to live with them, bring the gospel to them. And earlier in her her life, uh, she was taken by a very rich woman who kind of took her under her wing like her daughter. And this rich woman took her to England and had all these, you know, fine uh, meetings set up with her and, and she got to taste what it was like to be a rich person. And the person said, you know, I, I kind of think of you as a daughter and, uh, let's play a little bit of let's make a deal. Um, if you kind of come live with me and take care of me, cause I don't have a daughter of my own and I'm getting, I'm getting older. Um, you take care of me in my older years and I will make you my heir. I will give to you as an inheritance, my, uh, my wealth. So Rachel Saint had the opportunity to be a wealthy woman and she prayed about this overnight seeking God's direction in it. And in the end she had to politely decline and say, I'm I'm sorry, I just don't don't understand this as being what the Lord wants for me in my life. And the Lord used her in such a wonderful way to bring the gospel to hundreds of these um uh, Warani people and many of many of them came to know the Lord. So that's that's the idea. Look at these uh, books. We've talked a lot about the sisters. Maybe we'll say something about um, some biographies of some brothers in the future, but um, get and stay motivated. Um, there are Christian workers today we can look to as well. Some of you may know this is Silas Schaffer. Um Talk to Christian workers and missionaries. Don't let the older ones have all the fellowship. Um, so there's Larry Price and he's talking to to Silas. So there are biographies that are living today that we can get to know as well. All right. Um, with that, why don't we close for tonight? And if you have questions about any biographies that we talked about or anything else with a subject, please, uh, I'm available. Our Father, we thank you for those that have gone on before. We pray that uh, we would... like they did, take our lives seriously. And we know that you deal with us individually. We're not going to all go out and be um used as five-talent Christians um the way we might read of some of these heroes. And yet, Lord, we know that however you want to use us is your choice. And we pray that um, we would seek your will in our lives and uh, and do it we ask in the lord jesus name amen